0: Your hour of Thrive Time begins now with your host, Jay Mamie, on the Jay Mamie Talk Show. The Jay Mamey Talk Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. This is Jay Mamie, and you have now entered your hour of Thrive Time, and today is a special day, my friends. Today's show is the inaugural syndicated show, as we are now heard in other markets, on other stations as well around the country. So welcome first-time listeners to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I am thrilled to find that you are listening to this show in the areas of New York City, New Jersey, Chicago, Boston, Atlanta, San Francisco, and of course our flagship station here in Dallas. You are in for a treat. If you've not had a chance to ever hear the Jay Made Me Talk show and the Hour of Thrive Time, then I want to welcome you officially and personally to your very first experience. And I got warning for you. I've got a warning. You're going to absolutely get addicted to the show. And I know that because for the last two years, just about, we've had our audiences continue to grow because the show is so addicting that it forces you to carve out that hour during the week to check in, listen in, take good notes, and walk away with thrive-minded, action-stoking, thought-provoking content from some amazing people that have been on the show sharing their wisdom. Now, if you've not had a chance to hear any one of our prior shows, then I want you to know that you've not missed out. Because you can visit my show site at the thejmameetalkshow.com, hop on over to the archive section and make sure that you start to hear all of our prior 80 episodes and begin to really appreciate and understand that there is value here on the J. Mamey Talk Show, and you'll make this a part of your weekly calendar for sure. And by the way, while you're at the J Mamie Talk Show, make sure that you check out all of our prior business spotlights, our author spotlights, our featured spotlights, because the content that they have provided on the show is so full of goodness that it will make an impact in your thrive-minded activity week to week. So welcome and thank you for being on the show. And for those of you that are our returning listeners, thank you for making the show the success that it is. Without your support, without you sharing and posting and commenting and really uh, embracing this grassroots movement, uh, we wouldn't have a show that within a year, two years' time, it's going syndication. So we appreciate our listening support, uh, our listener support, and encourage you to continue to do some of that moving forward and by the way you can visit my regular site the jaymayme.com the there you're going to find all of my other resources friends my books my blogs my vlogs, my sales mastery training course all of the goodness that I've been putting out for the last 10 years to make sure that those that encounter me walk away with something that they can take as an actionable step to help them thrive and any or most areas of life. I don't leave any stone unturned when I'm talking about thriving and you'll find that at my site, the jmameytalkshow.com and the jmamey.com. And by the way, while you're at it, let's stay in touch. You can stay connected with me by following me on Instagram and Twitter at the jmamey. Also Facebook, VJ Mamie, you can track me down there on Facebook and of course on LinkedIn. Many of you have uh, connected with me on LinkedIn, and that's where I find many of you. And you've been guests on the show, and I get the comments and the feedbacks from a lot of folks that are on LinkedIn connected with me. However, you do it, make sure that we stay connected so that you can continue to hear what we've got going on. But also, as you will see at the end of our show today, many of you are always sending me questions and and making comments and wanting a further elaboration on maybe a point that I made or a point that one of my guests have made. And I've compiled a laundry list of questions and comments that we're now going to start attacking at the end of the show. So you make sure that you stick around to the end of the show because that's going to be what I call the final thoughts, Jay Mamie's final Thrive Talks. We're going to have that at the end of the show. So make sure that you listen in. All the way through because you'll find that some of these questions that my listeners are asking are probably the same questions that you'll be asking or that you will ask once you hear a particular guest on the show or maybe something that you particularly want to hear more about from a sales standpoint, from a fitness standpoint, from a financial standpoint. These tips and thoughts and tactics that I share at the end of the show are designed to help you wrap up our show walking away with something even further actionable. That's what thriving is about. But I want you to know today we've got a dynamic show. We've got three amazing guests today, and I can't be more excited to let you know that our featured guest today is someone who is not only a complete rock star as a business coach, as a speaker, as an author, but Paul Zardo is one of the most successful individuals who picked himself up from a situation that was very difficult as a child. And now he is not only one of the premier speakers, but he's one of the premier business coaches in the world. And he's got a very special message that he's going to share with us today. And I want you to make sure that you're here to to hear Paul's message as we interview him shortly. But on the heels of that, we have Andy Steery, the founder of Impact Training, which Impact Training is a corporate training program that allows for the culture of that environment to be designed in such a way that gives the experience of those employees a much more involved experience, a much more uh, academic experience, and certainly, above all, a much uh, greater performance experience, which I know every business owner loves that. And our final guest today will be the author of the book, illness can be the cure and red elf will finish up our show today speaking about her brand new book and and the way that she's able to really take healing to a whole other level and red elf will be here to talk about her book illness can be the cure so we've got a dynamic show for you today folks i want you to hang in there we're going to be right back after the break bringing you some thrive minded content Welcome back everyone to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. On the line right now, I'm excited and I've been looking forward to speaking with Paul Zardo, uh, not only because his resume is stellar, but him and I have got a lot in common. We've got the same haircut. He understands that baldness is goodness. <laughs> uh, you know, so in his, his, his mindset really has a lot to do with my own ideology, my own beliefs. And, and when someone who's got as much as going on as he does, uh, we need to get him on a show. So not only is, is Paul an Oxford University and Wharton, and Wharton Business School uh, educated individual, he's an expert, but for the last 20 years, he's been optimizing billions and maximizing the bottom lines of more than 600 global companies. And folks, we're talking about Microsoft and Goodyear and and GE. Uh, so So the brother brings great value to companies, But also to individuals, he's a keynote speaker, he's an author, and and he's really a guy that's all about business transformation in a number of different ways, and it's very difficult not to find Paul all over the place on social media, on media itself, one of the most sought after guys in the areas of transformational growth and business management and digital transformation and growth acceleration. The guy's a rock star, and I'm so happy to have him on the show today. Paul Zardo, welcome to the Jay Made Me Talk Show.
1: Jay, thanks so much for having me.
0: Paul, we're gonna dive right into it, man. I think our audience is, is is going to be very intrigued by your story. So if you could share a little bit about your story thus far to get us started.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh do you want me to start at uh childhood? Kind of give that uh that tone.
0: Yeah, let's let's go back. I know you had a difficult childhood. You grew up in New Jersey and, and I think people appreciate your story, and then you served in our country. Yeah. So so yeah, let's get started there.
1: Yeah, sure, of course. So uh so my dad was unfortunately my dad was a uh, pretty violent, aggressive alcoholic, and uh, he was an ex-marine, and uh, you know whatever happened in his service, Vietnam, and so on, uh, he more or less brought it back to the home, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't fun. I mean my dad was uh, very abusive, violence. Um, we moved twenty five or twenty six times before I was seventeen. Mm and uh by the time uh, i was 12 my father uh actually attempted first-degree murder on my mother so he came to our house in stuyvesant village new jersey so if anyone knows irvington uh i lived in stuyvesant village he mm-hmm. came you know early mo- one morning tapped on the window and just started uh opening up uh, rounds in the house so and uh you know my um, you know, from there, my, my mother took action, you know, to protect us all. And uh, my, my dad wound up in uh Railway state prison for, for nine plus years. So, and during that time, I, uh, you know, it was, it was actually a really tough time. I mean, when, you, when you're growing up in that type of an environment where, you know, you're always running, you're struggling, you're trying to figure the life out. Um, you're, you're struggling for money. You're struggling for, you know, just necessities to live. I mean, my mom, worked three, four jobs sometimes. My father was, you know, in his own world. And, um, you know, by the time I was 12, 13, I mean, I'm off on my own doing, you know, my own little entrepreneurial activities. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's funny to say this, but I was, I was like the, I was known as the candy man in school. So I would sell candy in school and, you know, I'd use that money to buy clothes and, you know, food. So it was, uh, it was, it was a interesting time. So, and uh, did little things like that until I was uh, 17 and uh, got into some trouble, and uh, I was told I was joining the military, and next thing you know, I, uh, I signed up for the United States Navy. So, at 17 years old, I was in the Navy. So, um, did that from... For six years, six years active, two years inactive, and uh, honestly, that's what really changed my life. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, you grow up with lack, lacking guidance and lacking, you know, uh, motivation, and you know, you don't know what you want to be in life. You know, beyond, you know, trying to follow a, uh, you know, a, a tough guy father's footsteps. You know, and the Navy really more or less slapped the the street out of me it was um you know they 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 put you on this path of uh, hyper acceleration accelerated you know uh success Mm -hmm. all they want you to do is follow a plan of action and just optimize time and get a job done you know that really imprinted on uh, my way of life my mindset and everything from that point became a Optimization of time. Everything. Mm-hmm. Everything has a purpose. Everything has to has to drive impact. So you know, I spent you know six years active time in the military. Going out, uh, I I went in as a nuclear technician, um, and came out tracking uh, some terrorists out in uh, out in the Mediterranean. So, um, and that's where my my entrepreneurial life truly began. You know, because then I started you know building my own uh, my own little empire. So.
0: Yeah, and an empire you have built for sure. Uh, and I appreciate the early childhood story. You know, difficult. You know, there's one thing I find that's a common denominator among many of us who've had difficult upbringings and and, and challenging oh. childhoods. It does something to us that uh, it's it becomes in the end, when we look back, it's a blessing, right? It's a blessing. Uh, but Yeah, at, at, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at what point in your early childhood did you realize, though, that, and even as you were growing up, right? That you you realize that your circumstances were not going to get the best of you. Your circumstances were not going to derail your destiny. And what were those watershed moments?
1: So I I would say th- like those moments began as a as a little boy. I mean you got to think. I mean my mom was up at five a.m. every day. She dropped us off at a at a babysitter's house who pretty much cared for us until eleven p.m almost every single day until I was in like sixth grade Wow! and uh, you know, when you're, when you're a little kid dropped off at 5 AM after having, you know, five, six, you know, hours of sleep, I mean, you learn very quickly that you cannot, you know, you just can't accept the, 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 the circumstance you have. I mean, you have to like drive through it. You have to find the positive with it. You can't just sit there all day and cry and crawl up in a ball and hope that it it ends soon, you know? So every day uh, my brothers and I would go to this babysitter's house and, you know, in the middle of Vauxhall, New Jersey, which if you understand, if you know Vauxhall, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's a pretty tough area. Mm -hmm. And we would get there at 5 a.m. I mean, we were exhausted. We were crying and, you know, we would suck it up. We would embrace the suck and we would say, you know, mom, mom has to work. And this is what she needs to do. This is what we need to do. So, you know, at an early age, you would you would start to accept, you know, accept these these circumstances as, okay. it's not so bad. You know, let's just accept it and move forward. You know, use this as a stepping stone.
2: Paul,
0: I want to take a turn now uh, and get us up to speed on your entrepreneurial experience. But my question to you is, what are the questions that any budding entrepreneur uh, that they have to begin to ask of themselves to determine if they got what it takes.
1: Uh, I, th- I think it's all about asking yourself if you're ready to embrace the suck, because being an entrepreneur is not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not a life of grandeur. Um, it is a- it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of disappointment. Um so you need to be honest with yourself. I mean, are you ready for that? You know, do you want to be content every day with a paycheck, or do you want to, you know, live through the highs and lows and you know take it for what it is and you know see if there's a rewarding uh, end to the to the story?
0: You know, one of the things I, I think a lot of entrepreneur, a lot of want to be entrepreneurs, and you deal with entrepreneurs. You're one. You're an Uber entrepreneur. Um, I think one of the challenges that the many budding entrepreneurs. Uh, don't take into account is the stamina that it takes to see your project or your vision or your dream to the very end, right? And when things don't go right, you run out of stamina real quick and you end up quitting. Uh, so you have to ask yourself, "Do I have the stamina?" And sometimes the only way you find out is by just getting into it, right? It's just there's just no way to find out. But you have to have the right mindset. Yeah,
2: that's, yeah
1: that's, it's it's uh, it's. I like that word, uh, stamina, and I mean and I mean it's stamina for the good and the bad. I mean because you know, sometimes we're willing to go as long as we need to when it's really great, you know, but you need to also have that stamina for when it really, really stinks. And uh, mm-hmm. too many entrepreneurs, they see this, uh, the the glory of the end result with the, the, the Bezoses and the Zuckerbergs of the world. I mean, that's the end result of all of the investment they made. You can't see it as a job. This is not a workplace. This is an investment of your time. And when you're investing the goal is to have a you know a, a reward at the end, to have some kind of a growth of your investment. So if you're not willing to, you know, win and lose it all,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then don't even go down this path.
0: That's smart. That's right. If you're not willing to win or lose it all, stay home, right? Stay home. Now, th- there's yeah, a lot yeah. to be said about discipline, even in that alone. Now, you're a very disciplined guy, right? You served our country, most servicemen, my son also, uh, my family. I mean, just very disciplined in um, in our approaches and our way of thinking. But in yep. the entrepreneurial and business management world and that CEO world, what disciplines should these individuals be implementing daily and developing daily with consistency.
1: I would say the most critical discipline for anyone in the world of entrepreneurship even even uh, even professionals even even just in in life itself it comes down to the discipline of understanding that you only have so much time in this grand life, all right? And too many people waste their time. They see it as a job, they see it as work, they see it as a consumption of their bucket of time. However, the, you should be seeing it as an investment of the the grand wealth of time that you have, and it's limited. So every day, you have to look at every second, every minute, every hour, as an investment of your time, if you do not have discipline around how you leverage time and the mindset around how you leverage time, then you're going to fail. I mean, too many people, they, they, they burn time. They lose time. They, they, it becomes a sunk cost. You know, they don't see their time as an investment, as a huge value in life. I mean, you only have so much time. Use it very wisely. Use it to grow and create impact. If you don't, it becomes a sunk cost.
0: You hit the nail on the head, brother. I call it time management, and and uh, by the way, when it comes to time management, that's a discipline that has to be developed daily because we're human, and boy, we can let that muscle get very flaccid, and before we know it, we are wasting time instead of using time, and and that's I like what you what you said. That has a lot to do with managing your time properly. But I want to talk a little bit about your uh, one of your areas of strength. And that's in the digital space, the technology space. How did you arrive at technology and and the digital space as being one of your areas of strength?
1: So I I would say my my dive into the world of technology was through the through the navy. I mean, I was not a technologist prior to the navy, and you know when you when you you know you're thrown into this new world, you pretty much do what you're told. And uh, I was told to work on satellite communication systems and precision approach radars and, you know, this and that, everything that was just such a heavy, heavy technical base, which just built my confidence to do everything and anything. So when you start looking at technology, I mean, the world is based on data. The world is based on technology. And the reality is, I mean, you can be a lawyer, a doctor, a plumber, an electrician, whatever you want to be, the 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 thing is, the foundation of everything we do is based on data. One, if you understand that, you'll start applying it, and you'll start building a an appreciation and a passion to understand how data actually influences what you do on a daily basis. Because you have two key two key assets, you know, time. You have to optimize your time, and the thing is that the the, the things that affect time the most, it's pretty much data. You know, the, 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 the cause and effect of data, you know, how does that influence time and your investments of uh, of, of your wealth, your time? So um, that's, that's my obsession. My obsession is how can we leverage data? How can we leverage it to influence our wealth? How can we leverage it to persuade and, you know, uh, build, you know, more, build great successes?
0: Now, one of the common denominators that I find, and I'm glad that you've brought up uh, not only the, the technological and digital space aspect of, of your area of expertise, but you also speak about the struggle and the failure components of companies. What would you say is the common denominator? And maybe poor technology and not having a grasp, a full grasp of of, uh, of digital uh, empowerment uh, might be a, a part of their failure, but what would you say is the common denominator that exists between companies that continually fail, or, or struggle constantly? So,
1: uh, you know, companies fail because they, they, they make a decision not to progress. They make a decision not to, you know, leverage data. They make a decision mm-hmm. not to leverage time. They become content. And if you take a look at some of these, you know, two-, three-, hundred-year-old organizations, like these mega holdings, right, um, let's use General Electric for example you know they became content they thought they were so big and powerful that they can never be de- dethroned and what started happening is these smaller innovative organizations they started taking advantage of data they started creating a competitive competitive edge they started influencing the marketplace above and beyond what a general electric can do so General Electric had the capacity to, you know, continue dominating the marketplace. You know, they, they had the resources. However, when you become content and you fail to progress, you decide not to make decisions that, you know, leverage modern technology, that leverage, you know, things that are changing around you that, that can actually you, – you, you fail to be, continue being that leader within the industry to create innovation. That's when you fail, I mean, too many organizations become content. They become lazy. Mm-hmm. They, make a, they make a decision not to progress. They make a decision not to use certain resources because, you know, there's only one excuse. It's laziness. It's contention. You know, they, they have the choice to win or, or fail. So um, how does a Facebook become one of the most – one of the wealthiest organizations on the planet – over a very short period because they leveraged, you know, what was available within the marketplace. They invented new innovations. They, they brought things to market, and they dethroned these these behemoths. So,
0: Now, one of the things that I know for a fact is if you are not ahead of the curve in terms of cutting-edge technology because you're not paying attention or because you are, like a lot of small businesses are, Paul, cheap, and don't understand the value of investing, you're going to get left behind. In fact, it's sort of like what we say back in New York: you're going to get smoked.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you're going to get smoked, right? Now, yep. I, in our last couple of minutes here, you're a veteran, and I appreciate your service. Mm-hmm. And and our show is listened to by a huge audience of veterans. Uh, and I know you're involved in helping veterans in a number of different ways. But how yep. are you leveraging your expertise to help other veterans find success? In business and uh, and in life as well
1: um, so, so right now we're involved with an organization called a two a and uh, that is a veteran-owned small business and uh, we've we've actually joined forces with them to help accelerate um, the transition path for veterans into the world of high-tech project management and uh, private equity um, we're leveraging that vehicle to start uh, supporting you know, additional transitioning veterans through a nonprofit organization. So I think when it comes to veterans, supporting veterans, veteran transitions, mm-hmm. it's all about the organization and the infrastructure that's willing and able to help them progress. You know, you can't just give them a book and hope they learn. You have to give them an experience. You have to put them in the trench. You have to you know, leverage the mindset they've learned within the military and create a correlation to everyday life. Uh, That's what we're doing, and that's how we're helping veterans succeed.
0: Well, Paul, we appreciate everything that you're doing. We could have actually spoken for another two three hours and just scratched the surface of all the goodness that you've got going on. We're going to put your website at our website so that people can log on and find out all of the different aspects that you're involved in and all of the different areas of wisdom that you provide, especially uh, and, and not only some of the things we didn't have a chance to speak about, but also in, in growth acceleration, which that's probably something we're going to have you back to speak upon next because I'm, I'm a big fan of growth acceleration. I think it's something that people today are in dire need of to sort of break the shackles of 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 struggle and you're the guy to talk about that so paul i appreciate you being on the show brother
1: i appreciate you having me jay thanks so much for everything
0: folks we're going to be right back after the break Welcome back everyone to the Made Me Talk Show. In the studio, I have my business spotlight. A really a fantastic gentleman that I've had a chance to meet and the value of what he's doing for small businesses and their training programs was so unique that I had to have him on the show. Andy Steery is the founder and president of Impact Training, and we've got him on the show today to talk about his program because it is making an impact in the small business community. And you have to have a strong business community training program in order to thrive. That's why he's on the show today. Andy, welcome to the station. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Andy, before we dive into impact training and the good things that you're doing for small businesses and their training programs, can you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself?
3: Absolutely. Um, growing up, I come from a very large family, a family of nine kids. That's a little unusual. Wow. Nine kids, yeah.
0: <laughs> Your parents designed their own training program. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely,
3: they did. Uh, but my dad was an entrepreneur that whole time. He's always owned his own commercial print shop, and him and my mom worked together. So the entrepreneurial side of things, I, I grew up with, and mm-hmm. that was a big influence on me. So that's something I've always believed that I can do. And I started my own training company because of that and I've been onboarded by some of the biggest companies and some of the smaller family-owned companies and there's good training and there's there's poor training but mm-hmm. there's always room for improvement.
0: So everyone usually finds um a reason or they're driven by some passion or they're inspired to launch a company. Now obviously you come from a, a pedigree of being an entre- of, a, of entrepreneurial living and mm-hmm. seeing your dad do it. So it wasn't hard for you to go from an employee to an entrepreneur, but why specifically launch Impact Training? as your entrepreneurial experience?
3: Well, for me, growing up around small business, working for different small businesses, like I said, some of them, some of the smaller businesses have, have good training. They've got good teachers. As I was getting hired and, and working as a new employee for some of these smaller as well as bigger companies, there was always pain points that I would bump into, whether mm-hmm. it was, you know, that's it's not really an engaging training or maybe there's not thorough explanation. So what I've done with Impact, it started out originally as a sales training. But what I became passionate about is making sure that new hire employees, making sure their pain is reduced through training, through better training, better performance training that not only focuses on the compliance side of things and the theory side of things, but performance and practical training as well.
0: So, uh, in your observations working with small businesses, and our listening audience has a large share of business owners, where do you find the greatest deficiencies or the greatest gaps that exist in? training programs mm-hmm. that are brought forth by companies.
3: A lot of small businesses focus on learn by doing. And a lot of small businesses, I'm, I can say my dad's guilty of this and some of the smaller businesses I've worked for, it's you You have a time, you have about a month where you're sitting with somebody mm-hmm. and they're kind of either narrating what they're doing or you're just sitting and, and learning by doing. And then after about that month, you're cut loose to, mm-hmm. to go learn on your own and that can be a very painful process.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I can absolutely agree with is as I've dealt with small businesses in many different degrees, what you said is absolutely true. It is learning by watching, Mm -hmm. right? It's in the field. There's very little manuals or Mm -hmm. programs that are provided that they can take home and study. So if we're talking about that then, what would be some of the challenges that a small business could face by not having a written, documented training program in place? Uh, and what can go wrong ultimately?
3: That's a great question. Um, with that, a lot of small businesses don't really have their new hire process organized. Two of those pillars out of the nine pillar program is systems and tools. So you list explicitly what systems are they going to be using in their new role, what tools. You're setting them up for success from the get-go. I worked for a training uh, company for a while and my first week I was given about 2,500 leads to call on and I'm, I'm calling on these leads, I'm sending out emails, I'm on the phone and I get called into my VP of sales office and he says, Andy, I can hear you working and I, I don't see you working. And I had to ask him, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you're not logging anything in Salesforce. Mm. I had to stop him right there and I said, sir, no one even told me mm. that we use Salesforce or that mm. I had a login for that. And after he got his jaw off the floor <laughs> and put it back in his face, um, he said to me, this is not the first time this has happened. Major red flag is a new employee. Right. Average turnaround there. You're looking about five, six months in that company.
0: Wow. So I would agree. Uh, actually, I, I I would see why turnaround
2: mm-hmm.
0: retention is a huge benefit in having a good solid training program. Because I know employees get frustrated quickly if they're not uh, if they're not being supported the way they would they Absolutely. would like to, and uh, certainly if they're being blamed for something that they have no no real say in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a training program would be strong. Let's talk about the flip side of that. There's major benefits a major uh, leveraging that you can have from a solid training program. What are some of those that you've seen?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, some of the major benefits are reduced turnover. Mm-hmm. Some of the major benefits, on average, it takes a new employee one to two years to get into full performance. So a lot of the time, if you have very quick turnover, you're not getting those employees to reach full performance by setting them up for success. What we can do with Impact is, as we look at your your systems, how they're utilized, what are some of the things how, – how can we take your theoretical training and turn it into practical advice for your new hire? So mm. as your retention reduces or as your retention increases, what you'll have is better-performing employees in the long run, and you're not going to have to spend money on interviewing new hires. You're not going to have to spend money on posting on job boards or, or spending HR time with onboarding processes. So your overall costs are going to go down.
0: I would imagine one of the benefits that you get to keep your best people. Absolutely. They're not going to go anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah they're going to stick around. They're going to stick around. Um, let me ask you this. You started, uh, you created this, this wonderful training uh, aspect of your of your coaching, of, of your company called the Stuckless Program, Stuckless <laughs> Training. Yes. What's the story behind that? And let's talk about those those pillars that are part of that training program.
3: Absolutely. To be completely frank, uh, back when I started the Stuck Less program, what I originally called it was the Suck Less program <laughs> because I wanted companies' training process to suck less. But over time, you know, you realize that's not really professional, so mm-hmm. I added the, the tools portion to the systems and tools. Um, and with that, you have your training. When you have a new hire and they're sitting with a trainer, they're getting stuck less through the process, utilizing our nine pillars. So, some of those nine pillars, all of them, all the pillars that you have a portion that's focused on performance driven. So, the first five, we have systems and tools, and then you have things like cues where you're teaching the new hire how to be more aware of what's going on. So, they're not going to stay in that unconscious, incompetent level of learning. They're going to get bumped up to the second, where Excellent. They're, they're aware of some of the questions that they need to ask. Because let's face it, you ask a new hire, you set them through a very information dense, very dense portion of training with a lot of information, you're going to ask them, do you have any questions? And if they're honest, they're going to say, well, yeah, I just don't know what questions. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the new hire says, no, I, I don't have any questions. And they kind of, the trainer will pat themselves on the back and think, oh, I'm doing a good job. But as you're working through the the performance side of things, we also have soft skills that are built into it, built into this stuck-less process. So with those soft skills, you have things like empathy. And how can we utilize empathy as a seasoned employee to train that new hire. And that's that's built right into the process.
0: So let me ask you this. You've got a small business owner that's listening to the show right now. And okay. he says, okay, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Uh, what would be the process? They call you up and, and how does it all begin? Kind of give us a little walkthrough of the experience they would have with you.
3: The website that they can reach me on, it's called impactctc.com. Mm-hmm. CTC, custom training Courses. And they, there's a brief survey where they can fill out. You can, you can put your name in, your email, how can I contact you? How many new hires are you looking for that year or this within the next year? And then I have a brief description of your training. After that, after you kind of give me a rundown on what you're doing for training, whether it's, well, sit and learn, learn by doing, maybe, you know, five, 10 sentences, I can reach out to you, schedule a Zoom call, schedule a video conference where we can talk about what you're doing. You can kind of show me some of the training materials you guys are using and then from there I get to decide, you know, are we a good fit? Is there a way that we can make a substantial impact in your company with R nine pillars? We can do some gap analysis and I can show you return on investment. How quick are you gonna make your money back and how much are you gonna save within that year? Trimming off a month or two of training. Mm-hmm. And your business is national, right? It, it doesn't have to be... We're here local
0: in yeah. DFW, but your business can be...
3: 100% remote. Okay. Uh, I think that's one of the great things that happened with COVID is you know people are now working remotely and we could do consultation or coaching from anywhere. One of the coaches I work with is based out in Arizona currently, and mm-hmm. he's always on the move. So okay. it's, it's just one of those things. It's getting with the times.
0: Okay. So I want to play devil's advocate because I know the mind of small business owners. <laughs> and I know that uh, they... They're sometimes uh, stubborn, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes they're stuck in their ways, and I get that. So here you have a business owner that's listening to the segment, and he says, eh, "I've got a training program. It's good. I don't need to to have it re uh, revisited. I don't really know. Uh, I don't have a. I don't find a, a real strong, compelling reason to uh, to have it inspected." What do you say to that person, that business owner, that thinks that they're okay, even though they may
3: not have had their training program? Uh, reviewed in 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. I would have to ask them, are the systems you guys are using, is that still the same as when, you know, 10 or 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. Are you using the same tools? Are you using the same software? Because I guarantee you that's changed. And just like training, you have to evaluate what you're doing and uh, just shy of going out and asking your employees, hey, when you were hired, when you got your training, what went really well and where can we improve? Where's that need? I would say ask your employees Let's, or even do an anonymous survey.
0: Okay. That's a, good, that's a good starting point. Just ask your employees mm-hmm. how they feel about the training program because sometimes business owners are so disconnected from the employee experience that they'll, they'll never know what, needs, uh, what changes need to occur until they get in there and start asking questions.
3: Absolutely. Um, you can also see, is it a systematized process? Is it something that we have written down? Is it something that we can replicate? Because there's value in being able to replicate something.
0: So I want to have our listeners continue to follow up with you because we could speak on this for hours, mm-hmm. right? Because we're talking about something that's very vital for a business to thrive. Where could people go and
3: learn more about impact training? On we have a LinkedIn. It's Impact Training and Impact Training Business Solutions and our website, impactctc.com. And you can always email me at info at impactctc.com. And Andy, we're going to have your
0: information up on our website anyhow. So those uh, those folks can visit my website, thejmaymeetalkshow.com, and they can look you up. Andy, I appreciate you being on the show today, brother. Best of luck. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate you very much. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. On the line right now, we've got the author of one of the hottest books out there illness can be the cure it's a unique writing and Ann Redelf is here to share with her, with us her story her vision and and her inspiration to write this book so Ann Redelf welcome to the show
4: Thanks it's a joy to be here
0: It's an honor to have you and we're going to dive into all of the great Content that you've got in your book and all of your wisdom. But before we do that, I'd like for you to get our audience up to speed by sharing a little bit about yourself.
4: Well, I'm a retired medical doctor and psychiatrist. And during my medical training, I used to come home and pray about all the people who were suffering from Mm. the various disease processes, trying to understand why they were suffering so much. And much to my surprise, I began to hear their souls tell me why. And there were always good reasons. Oh, by the way, I define the soul as another name for the psychological body, which includes the heart, our emotions, and the mind, our thoughts. And I now have a spiritual counseling practice, which I call soul gardening. I help clients to hear the ever-present guidance of their souls. And these souls are instructing us not only in our illnesses and injuries, but through our relationship struggles and all of our life difficulties. Our souls are wanting our lives to fully blossom and bear fruit. Thus, my gardening analogy.
0: Well, I like it, and I do agree, Anne, that part of the challenge that we face uh, as humans is dealing with internal trauma, internal struggle, and uh, yeah. I believe that our souls... Want us to thrive, but it's very difficult when we are dealing with illnesses and trauma and discouragement, depression, all the things that we're going to have a chance to chat about. But what inspired you to write this book?
4: Well, my soul told me to, mm-hmm. and, uh, and my soul told me what to put in it. And my goal is to evolve the way healthcare is practiced. Our current system is based on pathology, there's something wrong with you. And my system is based on psychology. Your heart and mind need your attention. Mm -hmm. And through our symptoms and diseases, our souls are alerting us to where our psychological growth has been stunted. And they're moving us into the steps we need to take through this stunting and mature our hearts and minds. Now, one of the things
0: that I believe uh, people are interested in these days um, and it's an ing- ever-growing interest is in a natural way to heal apart from prescriptions and, and medications and and all these uh, all the, the manufactured ways to heal your body. But yeah. y- y- you speak about being a depth worker. So as a depth worker, number one, can you explain that to us? But as a depth worker, do you address how to heal without the external uh, solutions that exist?
4: Well, I'm a holistic practitioner, meaning I believe we employ all that is available in the right time and place. Mm -hmm. But do you remember the TV series Star Trek? I do. And they mentioned space as a final frontier and Mm -hmm. boldly going where no man has gone before. Well, I find there's a lot of unexplored territory within most of us. And I help people through the deepest and darkest spaces within as well as the most difficult parts of their soul's journey.
0: And I like that. I like the fact that you help people that are going through this journey and how to incorporate their soul. Because I don't, I, I, I suspect, and I'm sure you would know this better than I would, that the majority of people, 99% of most people disregard that that internal navigation system called the soul uh, and mm-hmm. they, they kind of venture out on their own in a number of different yeah. ways, and the end result oftentimes is struggle or failure or discouragement or even d- depression and anxiety and fear and all these other things that I talk about as—I as I personally speak about them as being these invisible enemies. But how does the soul communicate through illness?
4: Well, since the coronavirus has been on everyone's minds in the past couple of years, uh, let me give you some COVID examples. Okay. Uh, A stuffy nose is a common COVID symptom that we've all suffered from at some point in our lives. Nasal congestion often represents uh, unexpressed grief. And this is easy to understand because nasal congestion is part of the grieving process. When we cry, our nasal passages become full of fluid. So uh, fever and a sore throat are some other common symptoms of COVID, which can be manifestations of unexpressed anger. So the word sore means angry, right? Mm. And fear in our bodies can be expressed through chills and another COVID symptom. Chills and tremors can also be a side effect of the COVID shot. And we may be afraid of COVID, the COVID shot or the many scary human life-threatening events in our past that we've never dealt with, which these life-threatening events of the present may be reflecting and demanding our attention to work through. And our symptoms can also be expressions of mind. The COVID symptoms of headache or brain fog might be saying that what we're holding in our minds is hurting us and making us foggy. For example, a lot of us have absorbed a lot of misinformation over our lifetimes, which festers in the mind, leading Mm. to illness in the body
2: Mm.
4: and vomiting. Another symptom of COVID may be a suggestion of what to do with all that misinformation get it
0: out try and get it out <laughs> i love that so how does someone heal from unresolved trauma uh,
4: big question mm-hmm. well uh,
0: to i only ask to big questions trauma. by the way ann
4: Oh, okay. (laughs) Why don't you take that one, Jay? (laughs) No, you take it. (laughs) I I, I first need to share what childhood trauma typically does to a human being, Mm -hmm. and that our animal instincts compel us to fight, flee, or freeze in reaction to what threatens us. And in this manner, we try to stop whatever is hurting us. All animals have the capacity to fight, flee, or freeze in reaction to external threats. But only we humans can do this internally as well. If we can't change the traumas we're exposed to, and usually young children can't, we tend to fight off our traumatized parts and their strong feelings. We flee from them, thinking I don't want that for my life, or we freeze in reaction to our traumatized parts, doing nothing to help. And over time, these internal reactions become habits, and we end up clinging To a relatively unharmed part of ourselves, which we identify as self. Mm -hmm. And when our traumatized parts attempt to reach out to us so we might return to wholeness, we continue to fight them off, we run from them, or we freeze in reaction to their needs so we don't meet these needs. And these castaway parts of us then remain traumatized and stunted in their growth. And we lose the human qualities of these soul parts that we've rejected. So to answer your question, trauma recovery involves reversing the soul severing and resulting creation of internal conflict. Instead of struggling with or avoiding the traumatized parts of ourselves and not meeting their needs, we seek to compassionately relate to each part of ourselves. We allow our traumatic memories to come into our consciousness and we allow our genuine feelings and thoughts about what happened We give ourselves whatever we need to recover. We listen for the soul communication in every traumatic event, and we learn from it and grow through it. This is psychological growth, picking up the missing pieces of ourselves and our lives, and healing each wound, and we thereby regain all the human qualities we lost in the process of trying to protect ourselves from our pain. So trauma recovery can be a complex process, which requires a lot of help from those further along the developmental journey. It's painful, Yeah, but, hey. but it is so worth the effort.
0: Yeah, and I, I completely agree. You cannot thrive if you're dealing with unresolved trauma. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. In our last 30 seconds here, who should read illness can be the cure?
4: Uh, Those who are tired of the purely physical diagnoses and eliminating symptoms should read my book. And those who want a bigger picture of what's going on. We're not just physical beings. We're emotional, mental, and spiritual beings. That's right. And we cannot be wholly healthy, happy, and successful when we're not whole.
0: Well, Anne Raldelf, we appreciate you. We appreciate the work that you're doing. And I'm going to make sure that everyone has a chance to know where to find your book at our site. The book is called Illness Can Be the Cure. The author, Anne Raldelf, uh, has put together a fantastic book. And we appreciate you being on the show.
4: Thank you, Jay.
0: Folks, that's a wrap. Another powerful show. The inaugural syndicated show has wrapped up with another hour of thrive-minded content. We'll see everyone next week.